Welcome inside for another edition of Gibby's Football Podcast, a different kind of episode for today. More of a personal episode, at least for me. Um, this is an episode about Brian Fraser, uh, friend, colleague, known him quite a while, uh, passed away in February of last year. And there's a new book out uh, from him and as well as his co-author, Callum Fraser, who is on the line with me right now. Another good friend and buddy of mine, Callum. It's good to talk with you today. How are you doing, buddy? Thank you so much for having me on. I'm, I'm exhausted, not going to lie. Uh, dragging me on here for uh, my 12th interview of the day. No, I'm very happy to be here. Uh, I, I, you, uh, you met Brian first in uh, radio school, didn't you, at Algonquin? I did. I, did. I, uh, I knew him. Uh, first year in radio college for me, it was his third year at that point. Um, that's when I first met Brian. Um, and let me tell you right away, you knew that he was a big sports guy, <laughs> huge yeah. sports guy. And, uh, right away it was, it was like, he, he was very much like we would do a lot of the hockey broadcasts, uh, for the DePean Raiders on CKDJ. And I remember just a whole bunch of different travels with him. But it was funny, uh, on the way here, getting ready for the recording, this memory just sort of popped in my head. Um, But uh, I remember it was myself and another guy. I believe it was uh, Mason Dietrich. Um, I don't know if you know Mason. I do, actually, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't don't know him. We're we're not friends or whatever. Right, but you Um, know him. I I ran into him a a couple times, yeah. Yeah, he does a lot of the CCHL games. And uh, this was obviously when we were starting out. And... We were just having troubles getting to the arena. Fortunately, it was the Ottawa Junior Senators arena, so it wasn't like we were going to like Brockville or Pembroke or whatever. But uh, I remember we were just having so many troubles because at that point, neither of us could drive. And uh, the concept of Uber was not a thing in my mind at that point. Um, and so we f- were finally able to get all the way over to the arena. And uh, we got all the equipment there set to go. And Brian is the guy that's working the studio to make sure that we're connected. And so we finally get to the arena. We, we get there just in the nick of time, I think like 15 minutes before puck drops. So we missed the opening uh, skate and whatever. We get there. We're all connected. We've got the Wi-Fi all connected. And we plug in. And then uh, I connect back to the studio. It's like, hey, Brian, uh, we just connected. And I get no response back. Hear nothing. I was like, huh, that's that's weird. Maybe he's just out for like a bathroom break or whatever. And uh, so we just kind of continue on. We get our notes organized. Five minutes before puck drop, I connect with Brian again. Hey, Brian, uh, you know, uh, we're getting ready for the game here. How are you doing over there? Still nothing. And then finally, puck drop happens. And we still have not connected with Brian Fraser back in the studio. And we're like, where's Brian? What's going on with Brian here? Uh, he's, he's not he's not uh, in the studio. Turns out he had forgotten that uh, he was in the studio for that day. And so all the trouble that we went through to try and find, we had to taxi there. This is, again, no Uber. We had to taxi there. All this trouble, we finally get there with minutes to spare. We connect over. I message him finally. And he replies He replies back. It's like five minutes into the first period. And I'm like, Mason, just call the game. I'm going to try and connect with Brian. We're going to find a way. We're going to find a way. And uh, finally, I message him and I'm paraphrasing because I don't exactly remember the exact message, but I just remember the message being like, oh, I'm not there, LOL. And, (laughs) you know, after all that trouble to get to the arena, uh, that was uh, quite something. So we didn't stay uh, because, of course, it's CKDJ and 
nobody nobody was in the uh, studio at all. Like no no other first year, no other second year. It was completely empty at CKDJ. So we decided, you know, screw it, we're going to go back. And Man, I, I love I love it that we're starting this podcast about our dear friend who like this book is just like what a great life he led yes. and his blood donation advocacy and what a great friend he was and you're just like all right first story this guy hung me out to dry like you wouldn't believe oh my god i know uh, but as but i was Zach, I, go ahead i, I love i love this format because I've, I've been doing a lot of like six seven eight minute interviews today and before we even get to the book like i I remember, um, with regards to this this whole Algonquin College thing where you and Brian both started out, I remember going back and trying to find uh, any details I possibly could for this book after he had passed. And I stumbled upon his SoundCloud page, and he had a bunch of uh, like full hockey games that he had called and highlights. And I listened to a bunch of them, and I was blown away. This guy, he always used to tell me, like, I want to be the play-by-play um, for, like, the New Orleans Saints. Like, that's my that's my dream. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we all have dreams, and we talk about them, especially in, in this industry, because, you know, I mean, everyone in this in this industry wants to be someone, right? You, you want to be on TV. You want to be in radio. It's a very narcissistic um, in, industry to be in, but we're very upfront with that. Yep, and he very. always used to say that, right? He used to say that. He, and obviously, he's like, and a close second would be play-by-play for the office centers. And I, know him to, I knew him to be, you know, a, a very passionate person, but... I, I just didn't see that translating. I listened to those highlights and I was like, oh my God, he's better than some NHL guys right now. Yeah. He is so, so good. <laughs> he commanded that broadcast like a professional. Yeah. And the highs were very, very high. And um, he was, you could tell he was excited the entire time. And I, I remember listening to one of the, these, this, uh, this broadcast and he called this overtime goal and it was brilliant. And I actually put these highlights out on Twitter and the father of the son that scored the game winning goal connected with me on Twitter and said like, what an incredible um, honor it, it was to have Brian call this, this goal for my son. Wow. And I just think like, man, the gems I was able to find along the way uh, writing this thing are, are just so rewarding and they'll stick with me for a very, very long time. Oh yeah. He was, I mean, and that was the thing in your book as well that you mentioned. The guy was just super passionate and it came through in his sports broadcast. And as you mentioned, it was always a blast uh, to call games with Brian. When I was, yeah, when I was, there was a trip. I remember we went to Winchester. This was not for, uh, where's that Win- Winchester, Ontario. Um, yeah, but where it, in, Win- in Ontario, where is it? <laughs> Ontario is a big province. It, Zach. it is, it is that. big. It's, it's, a, it's a little bit of ways in, in the Valley. Um, yeah. It's it's uh, it's closer to, to be honest, I haven't looked in a map in a while, and I've gotten so used to the wonders of Belleville here that I don't remember uh, all of the all all of the landmarks. But I I only remember going to Winchester once, uh, and this was uh, for CCHL Tier Two, um, and we just like he he had played that uh, Steve Dangle podcast uh, throughout the entirety of the trip. And he remember telling me, uh, you know, he's like, oh, Dangle, he's a big wrestling guy as well. You'll love it. You'll love him. Oh, and, yeah. and so it was I was always like, you know, all the different wrestling references on that trip as well. And it was just like, but the guy like his his passion just totally came through his broadcasting. And I'm glad mm-hmm. that uh, I thought that SoundCloud page had, had gone away because that was the thing in radio college at that time. Everybody had a SoundCloud. Oh, page. yeah. I oh, had yeah. one. I think there's still some st- stuff up of mine that's that's still online. 
Um, but uh, yeah, everybody had a different SoundCloud page and boy, Brian's like play by play. He was just a blast and it, and it came through his broadcasting and you could definitely hear from the players that were, um, mm-hmm. as you mentioned that, that great story there. Do you remember the player's name? Uh, no, I'd no. have to, you know what? It's funny. I just pulled up the, uh, the SoundCloud page. It's still up. Um, we could play a little right now. Which which SoundCloud page? Mine or uh, uh Brian's, Brian's? Oh, there you go. Now we're not here to promote you. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought so. I w- well, that's why I was wondering. It's like, why would you put up mine? I was thinking, but no, yeah, he's, he's he had like. There's also that obviously that iconic photo of him in the in the newspaper. Uh, it was with he and Brianna Lico. And yeah. just like just the, the call at that Raiders game, I, I don't remember who it was against, but uh, that was also you, just an icon- iconic photo. Do you think this would work? If I have, I have a minute clip here, sure, uh, of his hockey calls. Do you think we can play this? Sure. If, okay, if, me, if if it works over your system, I think it could work. Okay, let me see. Yes, I can't hear it. You can't? No, unfortunately not. Oh no! Ah, oh, darn. What about now? Taking it now. Oh, I can hear it now. Nice. I can hear it now. Okay. So this Morales. This is this is the overtime call. I'm just bringing it down a little bit. So I believe this is the one that uh, the uh, the parent uh, connected with me. So I'll I'll bring it up here. I think the call is coming in about uh, 20 seconds. Okay, shoots, blocker, save by Andriano. Rebound, shot on by Jody Sullivan, and another good save. Linquist covering there is Isaac. And now Rabbley, a great move. Weak shot. What a save by Francis Marat. Absolutely robbing Sean Rabelier of the game-winning goal with a phenomenal bad stop. Rebound, another great stop by Francis Marat. And now here come the Raiders. Bad change by the junior sense. Here's Rory Garlasco. Drops it. Zizek can't control it. And now here comes Alexandre Way. Way with Burke. Jaron Burke buries the game-winning goal, and that is a knife into the heart of the Nepean Raiders. Dude, amazing, right? How good is that? Yeah, again, it's the passion, man. Those are some names I haven't heard in a while. Francis Marat, Josh Zizek. I mean, geez, that's uh, that kind of takes me back. But uh, I mean, the passion you hear that like, I, and that's just the overall theme I'm kind of going with. Is like, I mean, you, you just hear those calls there. It's like it, it's interesting. Uh, I, I heard a little bit while you were talking uh, the name Morellis. Yeah, uh, that was in there. That's actually there's a here's a fun little uh, fact. Um, that's Greg Morales. Um, he ended up getting drafted into the NHL. I think I know he got drafted in the OHL for the Kitchener Rangers. I want to say, um, and then, uh, but the fun part is, is like, uh, I actually, I I thought maybe it was going to be, uh, Morales that was scoring the overtime goal because, uh, I actually played soccer with his brother. Um, and, uh, I want to say, uh, late two thousands, early 2010s. And so uh, it was kind of cool just to kind of see that transition from uh, uh, seeing his brother playing on the ice. But uh, yeah, dude, how how cool would it be? You're like 17, 18 years old. You're playing junior B and you score that goal. And then someone tells you afterwards, like, I was listening on the ride in. You're not going to believe the kid that did play by play for this. It makes you sound like you're an NHLer. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know how many kids on that team or, or in that league were aware of this, of how good 
that the CKDJ broadcast could be. I, I just think that's like, even if you don't go in, if you, even, even if you don't play college hockey, you don't go in the O, you don't go to the NHL, like you're always going to have those moments. I think that that's something that's, that's, that's been overlooked in the past couple of years as we've been celebrating Brian's life is like, what a cool what a cool little gift for those those hockey players. I think it's really really neat. Yeah, and, and the audio to live on as well uh, from those yeah. games is 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 truly truly incredible. Um, it's funny. I uh, now I'm just kind of hearing all the Raiders highlights and uh, the memories are starting to come back a little bit. Um, and uh, it's funny because it's like I, I remember um, not necessarily with the Raiders, but saying in sports. Um, I, I think I've told you this story before, but um, this was before he was a Red Sox fan. This is when he was a Toronto Blue Jays fan. Brian. <laughs> yeah. And uh, this was this was 2015. This was the Blue Jays playoff run. And uh, this, so that was like Russell Martin and Mark Burley and Josh Donaldson and all those guys. Right. And uh, we were we were in I was working an on air shift. And uh I just it was it was an AM station where it was playing top forty hits. I don't I still don't understand it. I think they still do it. I still still don't understand why they're playing top forty hits on the on the AM dial. It was an internet station, but nonetheless. Um, and off in the other room. So you remember the pr- production room, right? In CKDJ, it was this giant room off in the corner, right around where the studios were. Yep. yep. Um, so they had the Jays game uh, going on uh, in that in that room, and. Uh, so this was this was the seventh inning. This was the Jose Bautista bat flip home run, and all I remember hearing is "Yeah, let's." Uh, I'll swear. Yeah, let's fucking go. Yeah. Wow, Zach. Yeah, and and he's like, "Yeah, let's fucking go," and he bolts it down uh, across the hallway, and like looks at me, and he's like, "Bautista just hit a fucking home run. Let's fucking go." <laughs> And, and just, I was like, he did, he did. Holy shit. Oh yeah. And then, you know, he just came in, came in for the classic embrace, right? Like, yeah, this fucking monumental moment just happened on, on, on there. And I remember he like on that carpet too, like he would lie down, he was lying down. He was just like overcome with emotion with what just happened, what he just witnessed. Cause that's a history making moment, right? It's just like it's just, it was still still kind of a visual in my mind, uh, just like him being so passionate and everybody just getting hyped up, and he was the one that brought the energy to that, and so yeah. so that so that Bautista bat flip still kind of resonates with me with, with with that sort of moment from college. Yeah, I, you couldn't find a bigger sports fan. Yeah, I mean, and look no further than how many teams he had. Like he had a team in every league. Yeah. He was a massive fan of, I think, the LSU Tigers. Yep. Obviously, big uh, uh, Raptors fan, Boston Red Sox post 2015 fan, <laughs> Sens fan. Like, he had so much memorabilia and um, merchandise, and he wouldn't miss any games. You'd, I mean, I had to, I had to mute this guy on Twitter multiple <laughs> times. I, I've told him before; he knows it. I had to mute him so many times because. He'd be tweeting a hundred times a game about this like Japanese baseball team that he like <laughs> like or, or, or like something incredibly obscure, especially right. to my taste. Yeah. And it, it, looking back on it, it was just like we I don't know if we if we, we we appreciated it at the time, but like there was no other person in my life that was obs- as obsessed with sports than Brian. And 
we all know the TSN guys. Like we work with people that do that for a living, and they would they can't hold a candle to uh, to Brian's sports love. Oh my God, yeah. Especially you mentioned the New Orleans Saints earlier. Um, yeah. You know, as a as a Cowboys fan, I would always hear it from from Brian whenever it came, whenever the Saints would face off against the Cowboys, and inevitably the Cowboys would lose against the Saints. And uh, I mean, it's the Dallas Cowboys. I've been feeling that for years, but. Um, I still remember some of the texts that uh, Brian would send in. So like it would be after like saints would win like 30 to 10 or whatever. Right. And, and Brian would just send me a text being like, Oh, there's still room on the bandwagon. You can still join the saints fandom. And, and, you know, you get to cheer for a winning quarterback and drew Brees and Alvin Kamara and all these guys like, man, like he was not, he was not afraid to talk some trash as well when it came to his sports teams. And, and you'd, you'd reply with, Sorry, I don't think jumping bandwagons is uh, my thing. It's more yours. <laughs> oh, I, I never said that for the record. I thought about it, but I never said it. Um, no, I, I just like and, and it's it's what you mentioned as well. It's like at, it's you, you sort of like you start to appreciate it now and you just kind of think back to those. And it's just like, yeah, just a passionate sports guy. When I when I was starting off at CFRA, I was overnights and and weekends and because I worked overnights, I would see Brian all the time and we would always just talk about what happened in sports the previous night, whatever. And uh, those were just some incredible chats and especially about the Sens fandom. He was like diehard Sens fan right to the end. So involved with Sens Twitter and uh, I'd be just like <laughs> he, he, he we, there would be some passionate debates uh, about what was going on. Uh, some, sometimes with the Sens, a lot of the times with the Saints and the NFL in general. And he was telling me, oh, this guy, Eli Apple's going to be great. Just you watch. He's going to be great. And uh, speaking of those, those early mornings, something about, uh, very unique about Brian, uh, what, he worked the morning show, for those who don't know, uh, at CFRA for the majority of his time at the station. And he'd be in there. When did the shift start? Was it I think it was four. I think it was four o'clock that it started. Yeah. He was out by noon, right? So yeah. he'd come in and a lot of people drink coffee. A lot of people drink tea. This guy never had a cup of coffee in his life. He no. never had a tea in his life. He drank hot chocolate. <laughs> he drank hot chocolate yeah. every day. Every day. I couldn't believe it. I'm just like, man. You know, the crash is worse with that, right? Like, <laughs> like the sugar will keep you up for like 30 minutes and yeah. then you just feel like crap. And he, he never, like uh, until the end, he never, uh, um, he, he never walked away from like his staples. Yep. Uh, the other one was, was grilled cheeses. I was just going to say um, the grilled cheeses. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he, um, when, uh, when we were talking in, I think it was November and December when he was going back to the hospital right before he got just the absolute brutal, um, uh, you know, end of life diagnosis. Um, he was in the hospital for, for a little bit before that. And I, I, everyone was asking him at that point, like, what can I bring you? Like, do you, what, what do you want? What will actually help you? And he, he, he said a lot of people, you know, brought him like chocolates and candies and stuff. And, and that was all nice. But like, he needed something to replace the hospital food. So, and I was like, okay, well, like what meals do you like? Like I can, I can cook a butter chicken. I can do a risotto. I can do like some <laughs> just basic like chicken and veg. Like he's yep. just like, dude, I want a grilled cheese. Like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> so I went out to the grocery store and I remember I got 
this really good multi-grain bread that they like bake in in-house and then really good rye bread as well um no no not rye sorry sourdough so multi-grain and sourdough and then i got monterey jack and i got provolone cheese and i made these two like incredible grilled cheese sandwiches and i brought them to him we had a good chat on the phone obviously you can't it was the middle of pandemic so you couldn't go in and i got back to the house and i've got this this massive brick of monterey jack and this massive brick of provolone and I've got all this bread left, and I'm like, well, okay, I guess I'm eating grilled cheeses for the next <laughs> two weeks. And I didn't stop eating grilled cheese for breakfast for like six months. Oh my god! <laughs> I just, kept, dude, it was so good, so incredibly good. You get the bread right, and you crisp up the edges just yeah. perfectly. And you know the the secret is the secret is medium heat. Okay. okay. Gotcha. You you, I know a lot of people like want to crisp it up. Like, just let the medium heat do it. Right. If you have butter and a decent pan, it's gonna work out. Be patient. Right. And I, I learned how to make these uh, these sandwiches. Thank, thankfully, uh, from Brian. <laughs> is that is is there like a certain viscosity to the cheese that comes with that? Like, uh, well, so you can't. I mean, you know, people go for, with cheddar. Um, you should never do any like hard um cheeses like uh like asiago or parmesan obviously those don't work very right. well um the best i found was uh provolone because it's uh i don't know if you could call it stringy uh but it melts incredibly well and uh it, it's like cheddar i think people are their um their palates are so acclimatized to cheddar right you just, it's right. in everything right yeah. it's in your it's in your tacos it's in your fajitas it, it was in your grilled cheese sandwiches forever and like provolone is just like the perfect, perfect grilled cheese sandwich. This is what, again, this is why I like this format, Zach. Like we just <laughs> talked about, uh, and it was Brian inspired. We don't of just want to go off tangents here, but right. yeah, the, the little things, man, he was just like, he had so many little things, so many little quirks about him that like, I think about every day and it just makes me smile and I move on. And then another thing will pop up. It's just, it's, he's the gift that keeps on giving truly. Yeah, absolutely. You lived the Brian Fraser lifestyle for a little bit. Uh, what does that mean? Well, you ate a whole bunch of grilled cheese oh, sandwiches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I thought you were uh, referencing something else. <laughs> no, I, I, I just was referencing the grilled cheese. Yeah. Uh, but, but one thing I do want to <laughs> yeah. ask, uh, it was, I was actually thinking of making this my lead. Um, but, uh, I, I was, I was thinking a lot and, and I was seeing your tweets and, and, and you're promoting and, 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 and I was looking at the book and I was thinking to myself, how many times did it have to be preferenced that you were not related to Brian Fraser oh throughout, gosh, the, throughout the day? How many that times? Was his, that was his favorite bit. Um, oh, I know. <laughs> I'll, I'll throw a couple of people under the bus too. Oh, boy. Um, this is all in good fun. Listen, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to poke at anyone and get them mad, but <laughs> multiple CTV news anchors. Um, uh, one was Christina Succi. Yeah. And oh, I think it might have been Stefan Keys was the other one. Like three years into our time working together, they were still saying like, um, uh, you know, around the times that, you know, uh, br- anniversaries would come up like of, of Brian's uh, death or his birthday or, you know, I'd put a tweet out there about the book and very sweet of them. So sweet of them to come up to me in person and say like, or, or text me or whatever and say, you know, this is so nice. Um, I hope you're doing okay today or whatever. But like a couple of them would always reference like, 
you know, I, your brother was a, was a great person and your brother was so sweet to me all the time. And I'm like, you put me in such a difficult position because you're saying such an, uh, such an endearing thing. I can't be the guy that goes, actually, it's there, not they are. <laughs> right. Oh man. So it's funny. And, but I love it because it's another thing from him that lives on, right? Yeah. That was his favorite bit. That was how he got my goose. Like <laughs> there's, there's a chapter in the book. I know you've read it. Yep. Um, uh, the, the, the chapter where he plays his first ever organized hockey game. And I go into yep. the, uh, the dressing room to meet up with my new team and I know he's on it and he comes in and we're playing with, with Sen's Twitter, right? So there's a bunch of bloggers and, and tweeters and, um, media personalities that don't necessarily know us like really well. They're not colleagues of ours. They're just like acquaintances. And we go out for a beer once every year with, and I walk in and he's just like screaming, the Fraser brothers are reunited. <laughs> and I had so many people asking me like, dude, I had no idea <laughs> you guys were related. And I'm like, man, come on. Like, <laughs> it was awesome because I, I honestly think he would refute this. He would absolutely refute this. And I, and I appreciate it that he did. But I, I thought I was more his big brother right? Mm -hmm. Because he was the one that was always poking at me. I was more stoic in our relationship, right? You saw it firsthand. Yeah. He was always trying to get me and I would always put on that, that fake face where I was like, friggin' Brian, here he goes again. <laughs> and the funny thing is he's older than me. He, um, he was, I think a year and a half older than me. Mm -hmm. And so when, you know, he recognized that when, when we were in a, this gag, this, this, this joke, he would always add, Oh, and by the way, uh, he's following in my footsteps. I've taught him everything I know. And that was that like ratcheted up, ratcheted up the uh, annoyance to like 10 to me. Yeah. I was like, man, come on. Not only are you saying that we're related and that you're my brother, but like you took me under your wing and it's like, come on. <laughs> did, did people do the, you know, I didn't really see it before, but now that I see your face, I kind of see the resemblance. I, I think maybe. And you know what the worst part about it was? I had a buzz cut all those years. Right. So I looked even more like him, especially during like the um, the uh, the leukemia years because he was shaving his head so often. So like he would still keep the gag going even when, you know, there were tough times and stuff. And he was great at laughing at himself and, right. and joking around and stuff. And he kept it going. So like when the pandemic hit, I started growing up my hair. But for a very long time, I think it was like a year and a half from when he was sick, um, he would shave his, his head and he would be like, dude. We look like twins, not only brothers, we look like twins now. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I mean, I mean, any sort of way to try and poke fun at you, Callum, I'm not going to lie. Uh, <laughs> like, we take full advantage. It's like, and Brian certainly will, will find something that can, you know, like really grind your gears. And that was always something I just found massively entertaining was the, the amount you know of times. What? Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I, I just wanted like a... a let you finish it uh, no but i just want to interject here he he poked fun at all of us but he actually he was one of the very few people i think that knew the perfect kind of like border like yes. the perfect time the perfect time to stop and he would always end it with like uh ah, i love you buddy or like <laughs> ah, i'm just joking like he yeah. would he would he would never walk away from a conversation with him thinking like what a jerk right, right. he would he would never ever think that there was any malice in what he was saying yeah, absolutely 
Yeah, and that was the same thing with, you know, again, we would have a, a whole bunch of heated debates about the Saints and the Cowboys and, and whatever, and he would always, like, poke fun at the Cowboys. But it was never to the point where it was like, oh, I'm insulting my team, I, I feel bad as a football fan or whatever. No, it was like, it was harmless teasing, right? It, he was he was somebody that, uh, you know, you love, you, you love to banter with, you love to go back and forth with, because, again, he, he when he's passionate about something and he's... And he's sticks to his guns on opinion he's he's willing to go all out on it whether it be you know on the broadcasts and uh or whatever and uh that i mean that was just brian he he was always just he was very committed to getting his point across and 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 it would lead to like you know you were mentioning you know when when i was doing some overnights and and we would like it'd be like 4 30 in the morning i feel like i'm exhausted right and all of a sudden, like Brian's coming in, and he's like, you know, oh, you know, the Cowboys made this move, blah, blah. Then all of a sudden, I'm fired up again. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to defend my team. There's no way, Brian, there's no way you're going to get the one up on me when it comes to my team. Yeah, man. The, I mean, it, it's, we were both, um, uh, you know, I, I was a Sens fan for quite a few years before I broke into, um, like more professional coverage of the team. Right. And, um, I don't know if we ever had that kind of like rivalry because like I'm a Pats fan, but I'm like, a, will be honest. Like I was a diehard Pats fan and now I don't have cable. So I'm very fair weather. Gotcha. <laughs> so, yeah. so I, I, we never really had that. I just saw it. I, I, I love to watch from afar where he would just go at people and um, yeah. And battle them every single day on the uh, stuntman Stu talks a lot about how like he would, um, uh, poke fun at Brian because Brian always loved to talk pop culture, but he never knew anything about the seventies, eighties or nineties. Right? Yes. He was always just like a, whatever's happening right now um, is all I know, but I know everything about it. Right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, it's funny cause it's like, you know, one of my last interaction with Brian um, was on Instagram. This is about two days. I want to say before he passed. Oh really? And uh, it was, uh, you you you've seen my dog Watson, right? You've seen photos anyway of my dog Watson, yeah. and I had just shared on Instagram that uh, oh I uh, we got a new dog. His name is Watson, and uh, and this is the final interaction I had with with Brian. He uh, he commented on the photo and he said uh, he said uh, what you didn't name your da- uh, your dog Dak? Shaking my head, unbelievable. <laughs> like not a true Cowboys fan. I was like, oh, come on, man. <laughs> like, you know, I've, I've been, I've been doing a lot of like, how would you act if you were in Brian's shoes? How would you, how would you, would you have this like sort of re- resilience? Would you treat your final months the way that he did? How, how would you, um, would you, I mean, try and be intros- introspective in, in this, um, right. in this time, especially. I mean, it's, it's, it's so natural, right? You just like, you see someone going through an incredibly tough time yeah. and you see how they handle it and you think like, okay would I be able to have the strength? And that actually to me is yet another example of how strong he was up until the end. He wasn't faking it. Like he wasn't faking, you know, I'm okay. It's going to be fine. Whatever. He knew he was in tough and he was being very honest with us about that. But he always left time for uh, still acting like normal like friendships were still, Hey, let's talk about current events. What's happening at work. Even like our last conversation, uh, in person in Brockville, I went down and he wanted to know about what was happening at work. He wanted to know, um, who was in what position, how people were doing, filling in for him in his show. just how people were in general. And I, I, 
even when we were talking about that, I couldn't stop thinking like, man, what do you care? Like, why is it, why is it going to matter to you? You're facing your own mortality right now. Mm -hmm. And like, you think about it nowadays and I'm like, well, that's just, how, that's just another example of how strong he was, right? Mm -hmm. He was able to stay in the moment even when his clock was ticking down. And again, like think about how you would react. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to have that, um, that steadiness, that, uh, that perspective, uh, when I end up going, like I, I, I can almost guarantee you right now, I, I won't. Um, and I just look back on that and it's just like, what a, what a unique one of a kind human being. Yeah. And, and me neither. I, I don't think I could ever have that perspective the way he did. I mean, and I think that's what made him connect with so many Canadians as well. When he made that uh, CTV news appearance on Lisa La Flamme's uh, show, mm -hmm. um, you know, he was just, it was raw. It was, it was open. It was real. And I, and he didn't hold anything back. And I think that's just what made him connect with so many people. And, and you mentioned in the book, the Canadian blood services website crashed that day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's, I think that's just how he was able to connect because people saw this, especially during a time in the pandemic where, you know, it was, it was always, it, it was, it was not the best time of the pandemic as someone that had to be in the newsroom during that time. And so kind of seeing him being so open and making that call for help because that was around the time when Trudeau was once again late for his uh, press night. And he was late. For, he was really late that day, too. He was like, I, because I believe that interview, and I believe you mentioned in the book as well, is like, it wasn't initially supposed to be like a five minute hit and ended up being like much longer than that. Dude, it was supposed to be a two minute hit. Yeah. It was, it was. Remember, so the, uh, they would do a CTV reporter roundtable. Right. And uh, so for this chapter, I spoke with um, CTV News chief anchor or former chief anchor, Lisa Laflamme, who, who spoke with Brian directly in that interview mm -hmm. uh, when he was in his hospital bed at the start of the pandemic advocating for blood donation. And I also spoke with Rosa Wong, who uh, uh, she pitched Brian to come on the show and then afterwards became one of his closest friends. Actually, they stayed in touch for a very long time. And all those details are in the book. And um, he, uh, there's a couple of really cool inside details. I'm not going to spoil all of them, but um, you mentioned how late Trudeau was that day. And I don't say in the book, uh, uh, it's a guarantee, but I had some information, some inside information that there were quite a few staffers at Rideau Cottage that day that were not exactly paying attention to their own agendas because their eyes were fixated on the TV screen. Wow. And from what I, from what I have heard, there's a very good chance that Trudeau was one of those people. So wow. I think, uh, uh, that explains C it. Yeah. <laughs> CTV news. Uh, that was actually, Brian was actually their first non reporter during those morning shows to be featured on their, uh, Justin Trudeau preamble. Right. And what a fucking tone setter. Yeah. Like what a tone setter that is. It, that's the best interview they did all pandemic, in my opinion. Easy, and easy. You talk about you talk about why he motivated so many people, and I think about a, a, a Lisa Laflamme quote in the book. Brian, when I saw Brian, I'm gonna I'm paraphrasing. I could have the I have like ten <laughs> copies right next to me, but I'm not gonna open them one up. <laughs> and she said, you know, when I when I saw Brian, I saw this man who looked frail, but seemed strong. And I think that is one of the many things that resonated with Canadians. This guy that was in tough, but was so stoic and so married to 
his advocacy, committed to his advocacy. And he walked away from that interview. And not only was there this massive rush to the website to, um, to book appointments, but what ensued afterwards were many financial campaigns, many fundraising campaigns that ended up raising over $90,000. And I, I'll add, um, that was in, oh, where one was it? That was in November or like December of 2021, because that's when I did the interview with um, Canadian Blood Services. Listen, mm-hmm. people. Books take a long time to, to put out there. I can't exactly update them to the last second. And um, I'm just thinking about that number right now. And I'm also thinking about the amount of money that that I'm expecting that we can uh, give to Canadian Blood Services through this book. It's, it's incredible. It's truly incredible. Because the Crashing the Blood Donation Services um, website is a very direct response, right? It's like a knee-jerk reaction from people. The money afterwards is a testament to the staying power of what he was saying, right? It's a testament to his legacy. He kept people around. Like today, a lot of people are going to see these interviews, maybe even read the book in in one sitting and feel really inclined. Uh, They're going to feel a call to arms. They're going to feel like really, really motivated to go out and donate blood. And I think that's one of the reasons we've done a very good job with the book. But the reason why these campaigns are going to keep going and the reason why people are going to continue to go back and make appointments it are his actions. That's not the book. That's not anyone saying anything about him. That's not, that's not even the interview, right? That's, that's, that's a culmination of his actions that uh, will keep people coming back and keep people um, uh, donating money. And also such a difficult time for Canadian blood services. So yes, there are these massive spikes um, that are amazing to watch. And they're like, they, they make you so excited too, right? Like when Canadian Blood Services says like our website crashed, it's almost like, oh my God, we won. Like <laughs> right. we accomplished this incredible feat. But I think something that's going to uh, be more impressive in the long run is the fact that his legacy is going to stand the test of time and that it's going to have people that don't necessarily need the reminder to keep going back, right? Yeah. Like there's, there's a lot of people that just will go on his birthday or will have a monthly appointment because he was the one that was the catalyst and got them going to start it out. So it's, it's just, it's so incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I think you put it really well there. It's, it's not just the initial impact, as you mentioned, it's, it's that lasting legacy and that's yeah. what, uh, and that's what Brian was able to do. Um, I, I want to ask you about, you know, writing the book itself. Cause uh, first of all, I, did you even ever envision even writing a book? <laughs> um, it's funny. Uh, just, talking personally and, and, um, selfishly, uh, uh, about my own endeavors. Um, I, I started to write two books like a few years ago and I think I wrote like three chapters and then just put it on the shelf. One was like a, 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 a book about like my love for golf. Okay. And the other one was like stories along the way of like a, a hockey media career that I would think I would finish in like 25 years or something like that. But I never, but you like, you write a couple, you get so excited and then another project comes along and you just put it on the shelf. And the difference was in this one, I, I, I've never been more motivated to complete a project and to make sure that every single word, every single little bit, every single little detail was so, so perfect. Um, did it take years off my life? Maybe, uh, but it was incredibly rewarding. And 
Um, yeah, well, I mean, we can get into the process a little bit more about, about how it started because I, I mean, I, I've repeated this so many times today, but yeah. um, it all started with a FaceTime call in uh, December of 2020 when he called me and, and basically told me that he was going to die. Um, and the second thing he told me was, you know, will you help me out with this project? And I told him it was, it was a, the privilege and honor of my life. And from that point on, and I, I really, I couldn't grasp how sick he was because he just, he was able to like pull through with these, with these FaceTime calls and with these like, um, meetings in person, he just seemed like a lot more upbeat. He seemed tired, mm -hmm. but he seemed a lot more upbeat. And we, we, we worked on four or five chapters and then he just ran out of steam. Like he just had nothing left the final few weeks of his life and the texts stopped, the phone calls stopped. And we exchanged a couple of final text messages that were just like, just telling, telling each other that we love each other. And, um, when that happened, we always had this, this plan, obviously that if, <clears throat> if he were to die when we were still working on the book, which was, we both understood highly likely, um, because of how late he had started and how much work we had to do and how much time the publishing process takes, we weren't even taking that into account at the start. I was always to carry on and I went down to Brockville uh, a week and a half after he died and I picked up this notebook. Um, Tate Fraser, his brother, handed it to me in the, in the, the driveway of, of, their, um, of their, their Brockville home and I looked through this thing and I, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was panic. Maybe it was sadness. Maybe it was a realization um, of how difficult those final weeks were. But I, I flipped through it and, and a third of the pages were written on and two thirds were blank. And I just went, Oh my gosh, I have no idea what to do. And I started looking around. Oh, actually, sorry. That, that's a total lie. I sat on it for three months. I, I went, I have no clue. I need to get my head out of this. Um, and I need to buy myself some time. And three months went by and I sat down to start doing some more editing on the notes that he would send me, uh, the chapters that we, you know, the rough drafts that we were writing together. And then also to read his notebook. And I was like, how in the fuck am I going to finish this? Like, I, I, I don't think people, maybe they are grasping this, but I, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think it's very easy to grasp how difficult it is to be in a position where this incredible human being that you've been working on their autobiography with, that is their project. This is his, this is not my book. This is his project. This is his legacy. And you are left to write the final words for this incredible human being. And I've struggled a lot with, are people going to think I'm making this about myself? Because I can only finish this in his perspective up to a certain point. April of 2020 was when his notes finished. Now, if you, if you uh, know the timeline, he didn't talk about the interview on CTV. He didn't talk about being in remission. He didn't talk about getting uh, diagnosed again and going back into the hospital. He didn't talk about his impact at CFRA, his legacy there. He didn't talk about um, uh, facing his own mortality. Those are the are five of the major points of this book. He only got to talk about the initial diagnosis and how hard the treatment was. Very important. Both are very important. But you're missing two thirds of the most... Um, like the most important parts of his battle and of, of, of that final year of his life. So I, I was like, 
would would like a final eulogy, like one chapter, speak to a few people, you know, talk about what he meant to me. Would that work? And it's like, no, because that's like, that's cutting it too short. And then I thought, okay, well, what if what if it ended tragically poetic? In that, you know, there's one final like page, and I'm just like, listen, Brian ran out of time. I don't feel comfortable writing on his behalf or. Uh, carrying on afterwards. I'm sorry, but this is what he had to say. And people would, I think they would have understood. But when I started talking to people and finding out the impact, the true impact that he had on them and finding out uh, how much of an impact they made on him as well, because people would tell stories of how they connected in in different ways. I, I thought I can make this about Brian through so many other voices. And I can tell a couple of my own stories for sure. But he just touched so many people and there were so many voices out there that jumped at the opportunity to talk with me and had so many intriguing, amazing things to say that I was like, I got it. Two interviews in, I was like, I got it. I know exactly how to finish this thing. And what we have is, I think, a very unique um, product. The first half of the book, for people that don't know, is his perspective. He takes you through um, I'd say a little bit of the um, Cole's notes of his early life to get you up to speed with who he is. Mm-hmm. And then he gets into chapter two through like five are the initial diagnosis, how sick he was at the start, knowing, not knowing what the hell was going on. The, uh, the, the bone marrow transplant, uh, uh, the, 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 the uh, other treatments and, you know, talking to a bunch of doctors And then he also talks about the slog of battling cancer and how it's just an everyday fight. And then there's an interlude and I take over and we talk about the things that we've been talking about. The CTV national news interview. We talk about the, um, what, what ensued afterwards, the financial campaigns, all those things. We talk about his CFRA impact and we talk about his love for hockey as well. One of my favorite stories is, is the story of his first ever organized hockey game. And I think at the end of the day, this is the longest answer I've had all day today. By the way. I, think <laughs> so ten, I think at the end of the day, when you wrap up this book, I think you have a much better understanding of how he attacked those final months of how he was unapologetic in, um, in, in everything that he did. He's, I'm going to do it my way and no one's going to stop me. He wanted to see people up until that final day of his life. He wanted to, you know, continue to, you know, um, I don't know, like when he, when he was still sick and not, not direly sick, but still sick, he was like, I still got to try and, you know, go to this, go to a Sens game with my friends. I still got to make sure that I have enough energy throughout the day so I can watch the Raptors playoff push with my family. And you just get this sense of a, of a kid who, who really, really, um, he really, he really puts like, like he, like so many things in his life are so important to him and he is unwilling to, uh, compromise. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. He was unwilling to compromise with everything with whether it was his advocacy, his presence on social media, screaming from the rooftops for Canadian blood services. And then on top of that, um, being upfront with how much he cared about his friends and family and how he wanted to live, um, the final months of his life. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I'm amazed you were able to get all that from, what did you think? Uh, did you ever want to write this book? That's amazing. <laughs> oh my God. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's all good. That's great. Podcast medium. And I'm like, Oh my God, I can talk to more than six minutes. <laughs> yeah. No, that was, no, that was amazing. I, and, and, and you totally nailed it. I mean, I, when I got the book, when you, when you sent me the link to the book, um, I got it, a, I want to say maybe a month ago or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember getting the book and I was super excited. I was like, oh, this I know because I, I know you've been working really hard on this book and, and you had to go through the different challenges of, of, of writing it because obviously you not only you mentioned from an autobiography standpoint, it's not like you were hired by the guy to write an autobiography for him. You have a personal connection with him. Yeah. You knew him. And so having that sort of pressure on you uh, and to be able to write this book and i was just totally blown away man i really was uh thank you thank you for that i appreciate that the first half of that book uh for me so now i will say it took me a while to get to the book mainly because it's like i knew like it was going to be raw and i knew it was going to be like uh i was going to read about stuff about the pain that he was in um and knowing him but finally literally this past friday um, I had gotten back from Toronto. I had just finished uh, a work shift and it's 1230 in the morning and I'm like, fuck it. I'm just going to read this book <laughs> and just, and it's, it's been staring at me for weeks. I'm going to read this book. And I just read the whole thing at like one o'clock in the morning. Just, oh my uh, God. Yeah. The whole thing. I, uh, I, I felt I was committed to it. And, uh, there was, there was definitely some emotional moments along the way, especially, yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the different treatments that he had to go through the chemo. And, uh, that was to be, that kind of hit me like a, like a ton of bricks when I read that, but it was, but it was, it was important that it was written and, and said like that. Cause it's, again, as we've been mentioning with, with Brian, he was a very real person. He was a very yeah. open person and, uh, and it translates in this book. And so reading it, knowing that this is, it's, it's tough to read it's rough, especially in, in my case, knowing the guy. Um, but it's an important read. It, it's, it's helping people understand the battle that he went through and, and, and how much he had to go through and the perseverance that he had to keep on fighting. Um, and so that perspective was great. And I think he did a great job of, of carrying on the story and, and mentioning the different legacy points that he had. Uh, afterwards, I, I was just totally blown away. And so I, yeah, I read, I read the whole thing at one in the morning. I was just like, man, like I, I can't just keep staring at this thing. Cause like, fuck, if, if, if Callum is able to write this book, then, then why the fuck am I complaining? And I could just read the goddamn book. Right. So, uh, but I read through it Friday and it was just an inc- incredible read and, and seeing some of the photos again and, uh, yeah. and read through some of the stories. It, 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 it was really well done, man. And I, and I got to give you props. My favorite. Thank you very much for that. No um, my, my favorite photo in the book is his jaws almost detached as he's, I'm assuming calling a goal. Yes. That's the iconic photo I was talking about. Oh my God. It's so amazing. Shout out to uh, Mike Caracetto uh, who took that photo, who was um, kind enough to give us uh, that for free. Mm -hmm. Uh, The budget for this book wasn't exactly large. So uh, (laughs) thank you. Yeah. They really, the photos of him with his family are so beautiful. Um, And I uh, I think, you know, it's funny. We, we actually, the cover of the book was a last minute thing. Um, it's, uh, the design is for people who, who aren't looking at it right now, the design is, is an arm. Um, I believe it's a blood transfusion. I don't think it's donating. I think it's a blood transfusion. Yeah. Um, and there's an arm going down. They have the, uh, 
the red rubber ball in it. There's a tattoo on it that says eat blood cancer. And there's a, a blood bag um, around shoulder height. And I, I, I love, I absolutely love the, um, uh, the, the cover of the book that we got, but we, there's this photo of him on the back of the book. That is the like meet the author page, like about the author page. And that was going to be the, the front cover until we had this idea. And the reason why it was going to be the front cover was, first of all, it's a beautiful picture of him. He's uh, grinning ear to ear. He's in this helicopter over the Thousand Islands. And that, that might seem like, okay, well, it's just a nice photo of him having fun. And, but the reason why we were going to put it as the, the front cover was because, and there's a caption on it, I believe. Um, the reason why we we're going to have it uh, as the front cover was because Sheila, his mother, told me that that was his last good day. That was in November of 2020. And she truly believes that it was like his last pain-free, happy, truly happy day of his life. Um, and what a moment to have, to have that captured. hundred mm, percent. So, yeah, I, I just, I, I just look at that book and the cover and, and, and just everything, the contents in it. I, I really do think you did a great job and, uh, I, I'm hoping more people read the story, understand, uh, where, you know, his, his, his journey. Cause it's like, uh, it's, it's truly remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just, to kind of bring it back to college, it just kind of hit me. Um, yeah, it's, uh, so back in college, it was, uh, there was a bunch of people that were the, uh, obviously Brian was one of the people teaching sports. Um, unfortunately, uh, there's been a couple of, uh, passings in our program. Um, so, uh, I just kind of saw this again, but, um, so like Brian passed away. Um, and then I want to say a year later, uh, one of the other people in our sports program, uh, Chris Pavone, passed away. Um, and then a couple months later, one of Brian's biggest supporters um, in the program, uh, Jordan Pearson, had passed away suddenly. Um, so that was like three people within that program. Oh God. Yeah. So uh, sorry, it just kind of hit me. I saw <laughs> the I saw the wheelchair again, and I was just like, ah, oh, geez. I, no, man. Like, listen. I, I know we've been kind of. Uh, this has been a bit of a celebration of life, but yeah, we're also allowed to. To we're talking about death and yeah. cancer and leukemia and and all these things that are um that are are brutal but they're also uh realities of life like don't yeah. don't worry this, this can also there there can be time in this podcast for sadness <laughs> yeah. talking about very heavy topics yeah absolutely yeah no i just like i i, I was it just kind of hit me especially uh jordan's passing because yeah. uh he was a guy that was really a big supporter of Brian's and uh you want to talk about a, a friendly competition uh it was between Brian Jordan Pearson was a Leafs fan uh, a major Leafs fan through and through and uh he was somebody that like during Brian's journey that uh that was really really supportive and and would constantly talk with him and uh I just remembered that he had passed away a couple of months ago and uh yeah, it's it's like man, like one one of his biggest supporters is also gone too. And, uh, and those those classes, those those programs, sorry, the radio programs, they're very very tight knit because there's yeah. not a lot of people in it, right? So like no. you get these, you get the. I mean, my I, w- I went to journalism at Algonquin, and the classes are much smaller now. The industry is truly taking a hit. 
Um, but at my time, we had like 32, 33 people in a class, but I would always go down to radio and there'd be these very small rooms. There'd be like four or five people working at um, this one table in the lounge area, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I remember walking into one of the classrooms, actually, and I'm like, what in the world? Like, this is a very this this could um, this could hold like 15 students. Yeah. So you definitely I'm, I'm assuming you get to know your classmates a heck of a lot better than um than the, the classic kind of like university lectures. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 very close. And there's people across Canada that like they were all huddled across this table, this newsroom table in, in at Algonquin. And uh, so it's not just people in Ottawa that, that would know Brian. It was like there's people in Alberta and there's people in the Maritimes or whatever. And obviously, in this case, Jordan eventually went back to Toronto. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's, it's just it, it's just it's so close knit. And I'm just kind of like I geez, the, the, the memories are kind of going through again. And uh, I, I'm holding on to this. uh uh, when, when Chris passed away, Chris Pavone, who was another person in the hockey, uh, program or his hockey program, uh, did the sports broadcasting for the radio broadcasting program. They gave out these little, uh, wheelchairs, uh, for everybody. Cause he was in a wheelchair. And, uh, so it's funny this morning, uh, it was very much raining here in Belleville. Uh, it was, it was very heavy rain. And so, uh, my parents were back down here, uh, over the weekend and uh, they had dropped off my winter jacket uh, to get prepared. And uh, in the pocket was this little, uh, you'll, you'll see it, Callum, but uh, oh. this little wheelchair. And uh, it's a little gold wheelchair that was being handed out at the uh, funeral. And uh, I just kind of remember now the, uh, you know. What a lovely coincidence. I know, right? I just, I, I couldn't believe it when I saw it. Yeah. I was like, of course, a fucking course. It's just speaking, like. Speaking of, um, Matt Scooby today, I don't know if you saw this on social media, but uh, he told me this. He, he came in before he um, posted this on social media. He's like, yeah. you're not going to believe this, man. He had kept postponing. Uh, he, he's, a, he's a blood donor. Right. And he had kept postponing this appointment of his until three weeks ago. He was like, you know what? I got, I just got to do it. And he made the appointment and he woke up this morning and he was like, Oh my God, I'm doing all these interviews today with Cal about this book for Brian Fraser, about this blood donation. Yeah. And my appointment is to this morning. He gave blood before he came into the studio to do the interviews with me. Mm -hmm. And he's like, man, I don't know. I don't know if he's a religious man or whatever, but he's like <laughs> something, something made me have to be in this clinic today. Yeah. Some, something had to get me set, get me ready for these interviews and the promotion of this book. And I, it's funny. It's funny. You know, I, I'm not a religious guy. I don't even, uh, I don't even think that, you know, things definitely happen for a reason. Mm -hmm. Um, but I will say if that gives you comfort, fill your boots. And also <laughs> I like, I love a good story and yeah. that is really, really good story. It's, and it's, it's nice. You, you just, I, whenever things like that happen to me, I chuckle. Yeah. I chuckle in a way that's just like, <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh! Of course, right? I, like, it's, it's sweet. Yeah, I, I, I'm one of those guys. Is like, I don't know, but uh, I, I will say it's one hell of a coincidence that uh, <laughs> I found this wheelchair in this, in yeah. this, in this, and then yeah, it's just because that radio broadcasting program was just so close knit, and Brian was absolutely one of the glues uh, to that as well. Um, so yeah, uh, as I try to kind of compose myself a little bit, as I kind of realize everything. 
Um, I, I got a few more minutes here if you want to ask a couple more questions. Oh yeah, no worries. I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm just trying to, yeah. Uh, I, you're doing a, another podcast in half an hour, right? <laughs> yeah, it's is, fine. Is it, is it with Lee? It's with Lee and uh, Tanner. He banged on the door like half an hour ago. I don't know if you heard that. Lee no, I didn't hear. He was like, oh, you're recording. <laughs> no, so no. He's, he's, he's chomping at the bit to get on the pod with you. Oh, man. I can only imagine why. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's usually is just the way <laughs> the way our podcasts go. Um, but we also have uh, uh, Tanner's coming on as well. So that'll, be, uh, cool. that'll be fun. We were both at that uh, AEW show this past Wednesday. So that was fun. Uh, I know you're enjoying the scissoring gimmick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> stop that. I'll stop it. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess uh, just kind of start to wrap things up here. Um, where can people find this book and, uh, and and where where can it be purchased? All online stores. So the thing about Freezing Press, we I, I think we needed like a lot more money and a lot more um uh, not not conf- we had all the confidence in the world in the book but we needed to know that this thing was going to sell like thousands of copies to make sure that it was in chapters and um like like actual stores and we just it, you can't commit that much money to it uh without knowing for sure so it's uh, the alternative is it's in every single online store that you could possibly think of. Seriously, it's like thousands and thousands of online stores. Oh, so wow. I've been telling people to go to Freeze and Press. I actually believe that it's the cheapest option. Okay. Um, and the royalties are all the same, by the way. I'm not. I'm not like. I'm not saying like if you buy it for more money at some certain store, the the store is actually just taking more of your money. The royalties that we get that we will pass along to Canadian Blood Services because all the proceeds are going to Canadian Blood Services mm-hmm. will be the exact same for every single book. So don't worry about where you get it. I think Friesen is like the cheapest and then it's available also on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. And then seriously, I'm serious. Like it's, it's available quite literally on every single online store. I've checked. You just Google it. You'll find it super, super easy. Yeah. If you have a preferred bookstore online, it's probably there. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Perfect. Well, I think we'll start to wrap things up here, my friend. Thank you for taking the time. I know you had a long stretch of interviews and, uh, Oh my gosh. Hey, ended with the best. I was just going to say, did you save the best for last? In, in this uh, yeah, I mean, dude, Matt Scooby can't hold a candle to you. <laughs> Patricia Bull, who is she? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Nobody's right. Just a whole bunch Bill, of nobody. Bill Carroll. Who? Who? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is why this is why you saved me for last. You get this. You get to swear. You get an hour of conversation. Talk about yeah. for a whole hour. I mean, where else yeah. can you find that? No, this um, was lovely and great to connect with you too again, man. Yeah. I, I really, really hope you're settling in in Belleville. We, we really do miss you. I know that's hard to believe, but we really <laughs> do miss you here. Uh, I, the text from Bud does seem to indicate otherwise, but uh, no, oh, it's uh, uh, I'm kidding. You know, you know, you know, Bunda's love language is um, torture. Uh, pestering pestering okay pestering i was thinking torture i was thinking a little more extreme but uh no hey oh and uh speaking of let's end on this note um uh, what are you having for dinner tonight oh my god (laughs) uh i'm not gonna end on that note uh no no i uh I'm not going to give, I give Bunda the satisfaction of answering that question. I'm not going to do that for you. I'm not going to do that, but uh, yeah, go, go seek out this book. It's a, it's a fantastic book. Um, obviously I'm a little biased cause I have a personal connection, but whatever it's uh, mm-hmm. it's a great book and, uh, it's great that what Brian wrote and what you wrote, um, it really comes together in this really nice little package. And so hopefully people will go and find this book and, uh, and purchase it and, uh, and, uh, yeah. And, and, and read through Brian's story because again, he's just got an incredible story that, uh, is, is 
more people. I mean, people saw it in the CTV interview and, and, and the months later and, um, and hopefully more people kind of know about it now and, and, and continue to donate blood. Uh, I'll put links to the to book in the description of this podcast. I'm also throwing a link to donate to the Canadian blood services as well. Uh, if anyone is interested, but uh, thanks again for coming on, Calum. It's really great to reconnect with you. I know we've been texting back and forth, whatever, but this is the first time we've actually done like a voice chat since I've left Ottawa. Um, and so I do miss the folks over at CFRA. Um, I do miss Ottawa. Uh, it's, uh, it's a very nice city. I was there for pretty much now at this point most of my life. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I'm settling in here in Belleville and enjoying the company here. And, uh, and yeah, you never know when I'll come back in Ottawa. Maybe I'll just randomly I- pop up. Maybe you'll come back for your first ever beer. Hey, you never know. It could, it no, could be. Seriously, man, you are sorely missed. I, I, I truly, truly believe that. I appreciate we'll have to that. connect sometime in the near future. 100%. Thank you so much for having me on here. No, thank you for coming on. And thank you for everybody tuning in to this conversation. Uh, we'll be back with another episode of, I guess in this case, Gibby's Football Podcast. We may change the name. I don't know, considering the way that the, the conversation went. But um, we're going to have more episodes uh, football related on the next episode of Gibby's Football Podcast. Take care.